I just want to let you know that I have another couple of workshops coming up and back by popular demand, I am repeating my boost your immune system workshops because there is never a better time than to boost your immune system than right now. This workshop is a 90 minute workshop that will be interactive and will teach you five habits that you may have that are unknowingly weakening your immune system right now. And that might be helpful to know, right? Because when you know you do better and you can start to change those habits, as well as I will be teaching you some great tools and steps that you can take to further boost your immune system, including a very simple supplement protocol that you can follow and easily implement right away. So I will put the link to register for these workshops. They're absolutely free. Invite your friends and family. I will put that link in the show notes. So please check that out at the end of the episode. Thank you so much. And I look forward to having you join the workshop. Imagine getting up every day full of energy as if you were in your 20s again. What would that be like? What would that be worth to you? What is your health worth to you? Think about it. Your health isn't everything, but without it, everything else is nothing. And yet too many of us are taking it for granted until something goes wrong. No one wakes up hoping to be diagnosed with a disease or chronic illness. And yet we've never been taught how to be proactive in our health through our school system or public health. As a registered health coach and integrative health practitioner, I believe it is time this information is made available to everyone. Combining new knowledge around your health and the ability to do my functional medicine lab tests in the comfort of your own home will allow you to optimize your health for today and all your tomorrows. Don't wait for your wake up call. Welcome back to another episode of the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. I am Melissa Dealey, your host of the episodes. And today I have a wonderful guest with me, Brian Carr. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here too. And we met at the Reimagine Health Summit last month that was put on by Dr. Cabral. And you did a wonderful presentation about mold. And that's why I wanted to have you come on the show. It's a topic that you love to talk about that I often find myself talking about, but maybe the average person doesn't want to talk about it. And yet it's so important for them to learn about it. But first, just to introduce you a little bit to the audience, Brian is a second generation indoor environmental consultant who specializes in working with hypersensitive individuals with complex chronic medical conditions. He helps individuals and families to understand if mold, mycotoxins, or other indoor pathogens exist in their homes that may be contributing to their health conditions and how to remedy those issues. Brian has become a mold and biotoxin expert to many medical practitioners across the country and has helped over 5,000 hypersensitive individuals worldwide to create healthier living environments that have allowed their doctors to help them get better. Brian is the co-founder of We Inspect, the host of Mold Finders Radio, and an expert at identifying indicators of mold growth, including but not limited to 
strategic sampling, validating, and developing remedial strategies for mold growth and biotoxin production in all areas of a home or building, including walls, floors, ceilings, crawl spaces, basements, attics, and HVAC systems. So you really cover off on all of it. And I'm very honored to have you here today. And it was quite a small world for me to find out when we met. And I said, I've had one other mold person on my show back in season one. It was Michael Rubino. And your response to that was? He's my cousin. <laughs> He's your cousin. So yeah, it's a very small world. So this is, I remember from your story, it is in the family, this work that you do in mold. So why don't you share a little bit of your backstory and how you got to be here, and then we can dive into why it's so important for people to think about mold as possibly contributing to their health issues, because it's one that is harder for doctors to identify. So that's why I want people to know about it. Yeah, so you said that. So I'm a second generation environmental consultant, right? And so that means that there's somebody ahead of me that in the family that was doing it. For me, it's actually my father-in-law is the person that that I came in under. And I, I told a longer version of the story, I think, uh, at the uh, at the conference, at the at Dr. Wall's conference. But the short of it is I had a leak in an apartment that I lived in before I knew anything about this. And I got sick. And the landlord treated it the way that landlords treat it, which is it's not a big deal. It's fine. It's dry. It can't make you sick if it's dry. Then they had, a, you know, his local inspector come in and and took air samples in the middle of the room. He said, the air samples are fine. You're fine. There's nothing that whatever's wrong with you has nothing to do with us. Um, and I just happened to be dating who's now my wife. And that's how I met, you know, my father-in-law. And, and he came and checked out my space. And he's like, this is not fine. In fact, all of the walls that I was in my room where I was sleeping, which is where the leak happened, leak came in for the ceiling. It was a big pipe leak. Mm -hmm. All of the walls were were damp, but not to the point where there was like water staining on the walls on the front side of them where you can see them or anything like that. I was literally sleeping in a toxic box for months, yet an air sample in the middle of the room, which so many inspectors use and they think that's going to tell you what's going on, came back and said it was fine. And so now you have a landlord that doesn't think it's a problem slash doesn't even want to address it if it is a problem, right? Then you have this you know, local inspector that comes in that does what they all do, which is one of the biggest problems in our industry is that we actually don't even inspect houses and, and apartments. Like this guy didn't look, he didn't inspect anything. He came in and stuck a pump in the middle of the room and left in 15 minutes. Like you're not, you're not actually inspecting at that point. You're, mm -hmm. you're we, we like to internally, we call them uh, pump jockeys where you're just <laughs> sampling pumps and just taking samples everywhere. Like hey, you're a pump jockey, come on in and take some, take some samples. And, yeah, so, and that's so random. There's nothing scientific about it to just come in and, you know, stick it in the middle of the room. It's like, you know, hope you hope you get what you came to look for. And if you don't, oh, well. Yeah. In fairness, I don't know if they're doing it on purpose like that. I just, you know, our industry. So it's not regulated. It's another big thing about our industry. Right. So like, you know, imagine imagine you have some sort of health issue and you need to go see a surgeon to get it taken care of but there's no standard of care of how to perform the surgery. Like that's what our industry is. So right. like in the movies going in the back alley and getting like an eye replacement or something by some dude in the back <laughs> of his truck, as opposed to going to like the best facility in the world with the best 
surgeons in the world and getting it done that way. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the difference was between what this person did and what my, what my father-in-law did and how he came in the house. And anyways, that's, that was my introduction to it. And I was just kind of blown away. And, you know, I like sometimes in life, like you get exposed to something, not like an exposure, like a bad, like sickness exposure, but like you, you see something that you've never seen before or whatever. And you're like, Whoa. And then you feel this, like, I need to be doing this. Like how I never knew about this. Now I know about it. And I'm so into this. Right. Right. And that's just sort of what happened to me. I can't even explain why it happened. It's just sort of what happened. And I got so into it. And, you know, fast forward, we're, we really are the top resource for, for doctors across the country. We work with people that primarily are dealing with complex health issues that usually takes them a long time to even figure out from the medical side that it's even Mm. happening and, and that mold and environment is a contributor, but then add on the time it takes for them to go through their own version of my story of inspections that don't work and remediations that don't work and all the money they blew doing it and all of that stuff to then finally realize that there's a right way to do this. And so that's really who we specialize and who we work with the most and, and, and who I really want to help is why we started what we did in the first place. Like that's who we want to help. Well, I love many things that you've said there. First off, just that you went through that yourself and then realized this is what I want to be doing. And it became your purpose. And that's why you actually had to go through it to experience it, to get to that place where you were motivated to step into this yourself. And I love that. And to your point about other people going through this and the length of time that it can take for them to even understand that the reason they're feeling the way they're feeling is due to mold. I have a mold quiz that I ask my clients to help rule that out. And just listening to some of these questions, people will understand why it's so hard for them to be diagnosed or for any of their illness to be correlated back to mold. Um, I'm not going to read all of them, but just do you have congestion? Are your sinuses blocked? Do you feel tired or weak? Do you feel inflamed often? Do you have shortness of breath? Do you have flu-like symptoms? I mean, these symptoms of mold could be attributed to so many other factors, which is why in the medical industry, going to mainstream doctors, people are often fobbed off or put on a medication for something else, and they're not getting to the root cause. And so I love the resources that you provide to help people once they figure out that it's mold. But I also love that we were connected through Dr. Cabral because the lab testing that we do can also help show that up in people's bodies for them to help them get to the answers. So I've actually become an affiliate of your program and I haven't done your full course yet. It's on my list of things to get to, but I've seen the amount of content that you offer to people And thank you so much for doing that, because there is so much there to help people through the process that I can tell is the exact process that you had to go through yourself, right down to getting out of a lease, helping you get out of a lease where the landlord doesn't care. That's powerful information that you're sharing. No, I appreciate it. And, you know, a lot of that, I mean, the lease thing was, that was the next step in that apartment. I had to get out of the lease. Like, I told more of the story at the thing, but like after Afterwards, my father-in-law was like, so what do you want to do? I'm like, what do you mean? What do I want to do? Like, my place is a disaster, basically. He's like, well, do you want to like try to stay here? Or do you just want to leave? And I was like, I just want to leave. But I had just signed a lease like three or four months ago. So in my mind, I'm like, well, I have a contract. And it's just so funny. It's like, once you realize this stuff, like contracts are only as valid as the humans who enforce them. Meaning 
if the person that is enforcing it no longer wants to enforce it, bam, it's like it doesn't even exist. So what do you do? You make their life a little difficult. And then all of a sudden, they'd rather not have you there. And then he kind of gave me this framework on how to do that. And it was just so easy to get out of this thing. And I even got paid to leave. So um, it's just interesting <laughs> once you see like what's going on and like how to do it and that behind it, like people are behind everything, right? So like you might have processes, mm -hmm. you might have, you know, contracts if we're talking about lease, if you're talking about remediation, you know, there, yeah, there's the product you use to clean something, but there's the person that's using the product, right? Like it's all tied back to people. Right. And so a lot of like what I think about a lot is what are the motivations of people in mm -hmm. what they're doing? Like, so the reason I'll just tell you the reason that these, you know, local inspectors do it the way that they do. And the reason that remediators come in and kind of half-ass stuff when they go through it is because of what their business model is. Their business model is volume. So right. if you understand the people and you understand that people are driven by money generally when you're talking about business and then you say, okay, well, then what's the motivating factor for them to come in here and do a very like thorough, comprehensive job for someone whose primary goal is health when their primary goal doesn't align with you, right? right. Their goal is to come in and like, well, if I do X of these in a month and I'm going to be able to do this and the tools I have at my disposal, because I don't really know how to inspect a place properly or anything, is this air test, like, this is my tool. How am right. I going to execute, you know, and you just kind of put the pieces together. And when you start thinking about stuff that way, it makes a lot of sense, like why it all happens the way it does. And I don't even think a lot of them are doing it on purpose or maliciously. I just think like, oh, this is the business model. This is what you do. And they're so they're not trying to learn more because right. their ideal client is not somebody who's been sick for all this time. And like really their client is somebody who they can not talk to ever again. Like that's their ideal client, you know? Right. Yeah. And the people that are doing it have just been trained by someone who they've put their trust and faith in that this is how you do it. Right. So yeah. to your point, they're not doing it maliciously. They went and got themselves a job. They did the training. That's what they've been taught. And we only know what we know. But that's why you and I have podcasts in order to help yeah. people get more information and expand what they know and have access to these resources. Absolutely. So, yeah, another resource that I really appreciated that I saw on your site was also about when you are moving what you need, what you can keep and how you need to clean it and what you need to throw away. So you're not moving the mold with you. And I think that's really important for people to think about in that process of leaving a moldy place and moving to a new place as well. Yeah. The, the, what do I do with my stuff question is yeah. it's so funny. Cause like, we'll go through a house. Let's say we find 20 problems in that. Let's just like, there's stuff everywhere. Rip out this wall. got to do this. Got to do that. The price tag starts adding up in your head. And then after all of that, someone will ask, well, what do I do about this chair that I got from grandma? Like, really? That's that's where you went, huh? You for all of this, but you went to this chair. And the reason is that we have just such, we just have such an emotional attachment to our mm -hmm. things that we don't have mm -hmm. to the wall in this right. room, right? right? I'm not emotionally attached to this wall that my picture of my rhino is hanging on. As long as my rhino is fine, put a new wall there for all I care. I don't know, right? <laughs> and uh, and that's really how it is. And so when you, when you understand that like, that's the connection point for people and that when we're moving, it's like, I'll, I'll rip my house down, but I'm not gonna get rid of these stuffed animals that my kid used 20 years ago that I'm keeping around. It's like, okay, we have to start having conversations about, why we're going through this process in the first place. Like a lot of times we get so in it and mm -hmm. now everything is just kind of swirling around. 
I have to handle this room. I have to handle this thing. I have to handle this thing over here. And then, and I have to do this. I'm not doing my, my stuff. I'm not doing this. I'm going to do this instead of like stepping back and looking at the whole thing together and realizing that they're all pieces of a puzzle. And if you don't do one of the puzzle pieces, then the whole picture doesn't show up. Right. right. And, and then also just trying to like, I'm, I'm going through this process because there's a, a health trigger, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody calls us to just, Hey, come check my house just because that's not how it right. works. They right. call us because they're sick or, or they're trying to figure it out. And this has to happen in order mm-hmm. for them to progress. And so right. if you remember, that's where your starting point was. Then when you start talking about your stuff, you start anchoring it back to that. But the guy that you're mentioning starts talking through, I don't think you have to throw everything away that you own, but a lot of people do because they don't actually know how to clean it the right way. And so right. then, then they go in the Facebook groups, which are 20, 30, 40,000 strong in these mold, you know, support Facebook groups. And they'll see people, they'll see people that says, you have to throw everything away because you can't bring anything. You're going to be sick forever. It's all contaminated. There's no way to get away from it. The reason those people are saying that is because they tried to bring stuff in a cross-contaminated their new place because they didn't know what they should bring and not bring. And they didn't know how to clean the things that they brought in the first place. So their, their logic was like, I brought stuff. It contaminated, never bring anything, can't do it. It's very black or white and it doesn't have to be that way. And so I just, I was getting so many questions and like stuff about it. So I, I put together like that guide in particular is like a, I don't know, it's like 20 pages or something. And it's just like every item you can think of, but there's like a framework to it. It's like, what's it made out of? What's it worth? Where do you clean it? How do you clean it? When do you clean it? When do you bring it back in the order of events, like all that stuff. So to wrap this piece up, cause I went way longer on this than I probably needed to. Anyone who's interested in that is cleanmymoldystuff.com. You can go get that. Cleanmymoldystuff.com. And yeah fabulous resource and tool for anybody that is struggling with mold and you know needing to figure out what to do with their stuff so let's just take this back because we kind of got ahead with all your resources which i love but let's just take this back to mold 101 for people and talk about you know what does mold need in order to grow yeah i mean mold only needs three things two of them we can't control one of them we can it needs the right temperature that's the temperature we live at It needs a food source, which our entire house is made out of organic material for it to feed on. We can't control those two things. Those are just kind of goners. It is what it is. The one thing we can control is water and moisture. That's the one thing. Think of it like watering a seed. I mean, that's really what you need. You got to plant outside. It's it's the right temperature. It's the right climate for that particular type of plant. There's soil for it to feed on and grow into, but it doesn't work unless you water it. Then you water it, then it starts growing, right? That's basically what happens with mold. It's the same idea. Now, the biggest misconception on this, which I mentioned at the conference too, was this idea that people say, well, mold needs water to grow. So if something is dry, there can't be mold there. And that's not true. Mold does need water to grow. It doesn't need it to stay. And this is the big thing that a lot of people get hung up on. Like in my apartment, in that story, they came in and said, it's all dry. There can't be a problem. Mm-hmm. There. Mm-hmm. Well, just think about it in your backyard. Like if you stopped watering your grass, does it just get up and leave? No, (laughs) it's still there. It dries out. Mm -hmm. The blades of grass now break when you step on them and stuff, you know, like, but it's all still there. Mm -hmm. That's what happens to mold. Like, so, so just sort of make that correlation in your head. And like, once you do that, then you're like, oh, this makes sense. Right. You just kind of have to have to make that correlation on how it works. And something else that you said that really made a lot of sense to me was that dry mold is almost more dangerous than wet mold. 
because of air pressure moving it around the house. And you made that analogy, you know, one door opens and then it'll make another door slam because there's always, you know, air movement in the house and then dry mold because it's dry and it's lighter, it gets moved around. Yeah. So the thing about dry mold, like dried out mold colonies and and the, the reason I said that I, you know, I argue that it's more of a problem than like actively growing areas is because of what happens when it dries out. So like, you know, anyone, anyone listening, whether you've received a flower from a partner or a spouse or someone who's trying to date you or whatever, or you gave a flower to somebody, whatever, basically what happens, you get, I did this, my wife, I bought her all these flowers at the beginning. And what did she do? She hung them upside down on the wall when, you know, the, when got mine right here. <laughs> there you go. Yours are still healthy. And when it comes, when it comes time for them to start, you know, dying, what do we do? We hang them upside down if they're sentimental for any reason to keep them, right? Because they're all going to kind of break apart and pieces of it start falling off, right? So mm-hmm. she had done this in her room. There's like 12, 15 of these flowers hanging on the wall or whatever. It's like, all right, I think, I think I'm in. I'm going to clean these flowers up now that I bought her all of these things for however old they were. And I go to grab them and they all just like shattered in my hand. They just right. teeny tiny pieces. They just started disintegrating. That's what happens to mold colonies. So as it dries, the same thing happens. It's just like that plant. It gets super dry. It'll start cracking and breaking and splintering off and and piercing off. And so when you have airflow that moves through a house and, and you mentioned it, but like for anyone listening, like if you've ever opened a door and like you heard a door somewhere else slam shut on the other side of the house, the other side of the hallway or whatever, that's happened to a lot of people. And it's a visual representation of how forceful airflow is in a house because you're changing the air pressure when you do that. That happens all the time. When you open doors, windows, when your air conditioning turns on, when you turn on the exhaust fan in your bathroom, when you run your dryer, when you run your exhaust hood over your kitchen stove, all of those things move air out of your house and therefore new air has to come in. And so you're creating like these airflow patterns that are that are moving pretty forcefully. So if you have a dry colony somewhere that's like that flower I described on my wife's wall, it shatters apart. It's like my hand grabbing it, except the air then takes it and shoots it all over the house on top of it, right? Now it's like you have like a leaf blower, like blowing it all over the place. And that's how it gets in our breathing zone. And the big thing on this is that mold doesn't need to be active or alive to trigger immune response. Our body, when it sees it, it's like, this isn't supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. Immune reaction. So it doesn't matter if if it grew five years ago and there's still pieces of it flying around or if it's growing right now. From, from that perspective. And that's why that piece is so important. And I would say that probably 80 to 90% of problems we find in homes are that. It's not things that are currently wet right now. It's things that happened that were wet, then dried, mold had grown, then the mold dried out and we tested and it's still there. It's still coming up in really high levels, but that's what we're finding in houses. And that's the big thing that gets missed when these guys come in and they're doing air samples in the middles of rooms. Like you can't find that stuff that way. Exactly. And then also people just assume, oh, it was just a little flood. It was just a little bit of water. It's it looks all dried out to me. It's going to be fine. And then they keep living there. And a few years down the road, their health starts to go sideways and they don't even necessarily correlate it back right away to that. So I want to dive into the dust test, too, because I know that's your tool for finding mold at the source and it's an incredibly powerful tool but before i do that i just also want to understand are all molds bad or are certain molds okay does it make a difference it's a really good question 
it, there's not like an answer one way or the other, truthfully. It's all based on the person and what their tolerance is for exposure, okay. right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like a lot of us think, oh, there's like, you know, stachybotrys, you know, people listening are familiar with that. If they're not, then they'll know the phrase black toxic mold. You will have heard that. That's what that is. Oh, that's the bad mold. The black mold's the bad mold. But if there was like white mold over here, then like, that's fine. Again, our body is not looking at the mold type when it comes in. It's not like there's a, uh, like when you're going through customs and they're like, oh, what kind are you? Oh, you're cool. You, you're not allowed in the country. Oh, you broke in. Now all the alarms are going off. Like that's not what's happening, right? It's, it's, if it comes in, our body is just seeing a foreign thing that shouldn't be there and it's, mm-hmm. and it's acting. Now there are molds that can be, have additional problems that occur. And that's when mycotoxin production starts happening which is the toxic portion of that phrase, black toxic mold. Right. Not all molds can produce a toxin. So if you look at it just from a pure scientific standpoint and you're not connecting the body to it at all, and you're just saying, are certain molds worse than others? And all I'm doing is looking under microscopes and understanding how they work. Then yeah, I mean, technically there are molds that are that are more toxic, that are more aggressive than other ones. Like, yeah, like that can happen. But if we step out of a lab and go into the real world where all of us live and we understand that if we're exposed to any molds and our body is going to be sensitive to that in any way, then that's going to trigger a response. Some of us are incredibly sensitive and some of us are not so much, right? So some of us can be exposed to a decent amount and not really show any immediate acute symptoms or anything like that. And then other people, they go into, um, can go into a hotel room that has a mold issue and get a quick mold hit and be down for the count for two weeks. Like they could be that sensitive. Right. So for that person, really any type of mold, you're like, man, I really need to limit, just limit my overall exposure. But the way that I think of it is not mold specific. It's, Oh, it's exposure load. So I'm not as concerned with which exact mold is sitting in here and with whatever. Right. Because truthfully, even though we test as close as we can to the source and we figure out like where these things are coming from, you're, you're not picking up every single mold type that exists back there. Like there's no way to really know every single one that's there. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, if the sample was collected and a foot over, there's a different type of mold growing over there because as the moisture got a little drier, it allowed a different type of mold to grow over a foot to the left from where you sampled. Like, so you're never really seeing like exactly every single mold type that's present in a place, unless you can see it and get it all and put it under a microscope. And again, pretend that we're all scientists in this world that's not who we are. So I would argue like now short answer summary of this, are molds more opportunistic? Sure. For, for people who are mold sensitive, are there one, like, is it a big issue? Like if I only have cladosporium and not this, no, like it's about the volume of your exposure, not necessarily the specific type that you're exposed to. Do you currently work with clients through some aspect of transformation in their lives, whether it be in their health, their relationships, their business, their careers? And would you like to be able to help them achieve their goals even more quickly with powerful tools? In fact, the most powerful mind-body tools on the planet? If so, you're going to want to know about this training course that I am running starting in October, at the end of October. It is the eight-day mind-body practitioner training, which will train you at the practitioner level in NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, which works with the unconscious mind as we 
rewire their strategies, their patterns, etc., to get them to break through and get the transformation they're looking for. We also work with timeline therapy, which again is working with the unconscious mind as we release limiting beliefs, as well as detox the body of stored negative emotion, as well as working with hypnotherapy, a powerful tool for changing behaviors and creating the life that somebody wants with these new behaviors, and an NLP coaching designation, which is on par with the international uh, Federation of Coaching ICF certification. And once designated, your certifications or designations are recognized in 42 countries around the world. If you'd like to learn more about how you can bring these tools into your toolbox in order to have greater impact with your clients and change their lives, because I know that's what you want, please reach out and let's have a conversation. Right. And also just as you were talking about the bio-individuality and how someone's immune system responds to it. And we were talking earlier before we even press the record button about a client that I have whose son just started university in September and moved into a new place in a new city and right away started getting sick and sinus congestion, et cetera, et cetera, and came home for Thanksgiving weekend and was really fatigued, lethargic, vomiting. And his mother was just like, I can't send him back to that place. But meanwhile, his two roommates haven't actually shown any signs of health issues and they're living in the same home. So yes, his bedroom could be like the box you described from your situation back when you were younger. And that's why his could be worse. But there's also that degree of, you know, his immune system versus their immune system and his body's ability to handle it. And that story is the common story. Like most people that we work with, there's one or two people that might be showing the symptoms and driving the ship to make this happen. And there's, you know, usually one or two people that are like, yeah, I'm I'm fine. Right. And so that, that is way more common than not. Like there are definitely times when we work with people where everybody in the house has something going on. Usually those houses have pretty significant problems happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But most times it's, you know, one person showing somebody isn't. And so I just want the audience to hear that as well, because I think intuitively people might rule out mold if it's only affecting, you know, a couple of people in the home and not everyone, because they think that if it's only affecting them, it must be something else, because if it was mold, it would be affecting all of us. Whereas that isn't the case. It can affect only some people, not everyone in the household. And you definitely want to consider mold in any chronic illness journey, because As we mentioned earlier, it is so hard for the medical industry to put their fingers on and actually diagnose. And it takes working with someone else that can run lab tests for mold to find it. And it creates havoc to people's health. So we we run lab tests to find mold in the body, but we can also run tests much better than going and sticking a thing in the middle of the room to test the air, we can run tests to find the mold at the source. And that's your dust test. So tell us about that and how that works and why it's so much more beneficial. Yeah. So the dust test actually shows you at, at a, like a secondary source level. So it's showing you what you're being exposed to. It's, it's truly testing the dust, right? So like to kind of give this analogy, there's sort of like two source issues that happen in a house. There's the actual source of creation where the problem is starting. 
And then there's an accumulation buildup, which becomes your exposure source, right? So like we don't, st- our noses aren't sticking behind walls, right? This is like, oh, there's mold behind the wall. I don't breathe behind the wall. How's it going to impact me? Well, technically you don't, right? But that's where the factory is that's creating the mold product. Like that's where the mold factory is, right? If you think of a factory, it's a big old building. You can't see inside, you know, behind the wall, can't see back there, right? Smoke comes out of the top of the factory, right? And the smoke mm-hmm. creates air pollution. And if I walked outside, I would be breathing the air pollution so my direct exposure source is air pollution, but that's mm-hmm. not, it didn't come from nowhere. It came from the factory. And so right. what we're doing in an inspection process is connecting the dots to all of that, right? Not only right. what's my direct path to exposure, like what's there, but then where did it come from? So the dust test is, in that analogy is, is analyzing that smoke. It's trying to see what you're being exposed to. So the purpose of the dust test is to understand do you have a mold problem in your space? If so, you know, how bad is it, right? How does that compare to other homes? So this is all based off of internal um, inspection data that we have that we've compared over three years. So we can kind of show people how how bad or not bad your house is compared to the data set that's there, right? And then it mm-hmm. helps you understand, okay, so what do I do next? And that's where we tie in, you know, a, a phone call on the back end to help you kind of review that lab and see what's going on. Think of it as like an at-home 23andMe test for your dust. Like that's really what it is, right? So it's a DNA sequencing of the dust to show you what's there. And the reason the dust is important is because in that smoke analogy, the dust is your direct exposure to breathing. So what happens in a house, there's this concept that's called the, the personal cloud. As you walk around, you're constantly popping up part settled particles up into the air. So think of that kid in Charlie Brown. His name was Pigpen, the really dirty kid yep. that had a cloud of dirt around him all the time. So it's like that, except you can't see it, but you have this cl- this invisible cloud around you all the time. When right. you sit in your chair, or you take a step, or you open the curtains or whatever, you're disturbing particle and it comes back up and the research shows it gets into your breathing zone and that's what you're breathing, Right. So the dust is the best way to understand just what is happening generally throughout the house. And it's not going to tell me, is, is it coming from this wall or that wall or this ceiling or this bathroom? Like, that's not the purpose of it. It's really a screening test, the same way that you might do a blood test to screen for a particular marker that would then indicate you have an autoimmune issue, let's say, but then you have to dive into the autoimmune issue and really diagnose where it's originating and how to handle it and all that stuff, right? This is the same right. concept for that. This is just letting us know, is there a mole problem, right? And so super powerful for people to just get that initial you know, answer so that they know that they're then on the right path going down, you know, looking for that and diving in deeper. So do you have some signs of hidden mold growth um, that you can share with the listeners to kind of get them on that path? If they have that, then they might want to then do the dust pet test to confirm it, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I kind of joke around it. Like the secret to this whole thing is that we actually don't look for mold at all when we're in a house. Like that's the big secret to this. Like, are you a mold inspector? You don't look for mold? No, because you can't see mold most of the times. Like think of mold like, like an iceberg, right? Like sometimes you can see it, but most of it is under that, under the water and you can't see it. Right. Right. It wasn't the tip of the iceberg that sunk the Titanic. It was the massive giant portion of it underneath that sunk it. And 
you know, so the thought process, how can you identify what's under the water in that scenario? Like, how do you do that? And so for us, like, again, we know that mold needs water to grow, right? So also our eyes can see only to a certain level, right? We can't Mm -hmm. see stuff as small as mold. So to think we're going to walk around and see mold somewhere, there might literally be mold spores on the surface somewhere that we have no clue that it's there because you can't see that, right? Right. So what we do is we look for the precursor to mold, which is signs Mm -hmm. of water damage. That our eye can see and Mm -hmm. that anybody can see if you actually look for it, right? And so that's like, yes, we use moisture meters and for cameras and all the things, but like to be completely honest with you, probably 80% of the problems we find have nothing to do with those things. Like if you put me in a house and gave me no moisture meter, no infrared camera, I would probably find 80% of the problems. Now there might be a little thing where there's a moisture issue here that has no visible. That's why you have to use those things, but they are not the bulk of this process. They are the smaller piece of the process to make sure you're kind of rounding out, you know, the whole, the whole flow. But if you're going through, there's only really five signs of water damage. So we've really like tried to narrow this down. This is how I teach all of our, all of my team. Like you need to understand what these five things look like and severities of these five things from really, really minor to obviously like excessively, mm-hmm. bad, right? So right. the first one is bubbling paint or bubbling even in wood sometimes, right? If you see bubbling, mm-hmm. that's a sign of potential water damage. Now, I'm not going to say that every single time, everything I'm going to tell you is a water damage thing. Sometimes you could have bubbling paint because the contractor sucked at painting. Like that can happen, right? Mm-hmm. But right. but generally, we know that water does cause these things. And usually, mm-hmm. they are the cause of those things. So these are the things that then say, hey, we should be investigating this area right here to see if there's mold hidden right behind here, right where this is, right? right? And that's right. how we get laser pinpoint focused on where we do our testing. Right. So one of them is bubbling paint. The next one is cracking or peeling. So you can Mm -hmm. see this in paint. You see this in wood a lot. Um, That's another, you know, when water gets in there, you kind of, you know, you see like stuff starts kind of, kind of like rolling up and cracking and stuff. So that's another one. Um, Buckling or like bowing. So think Mm -hmm. like a floor that's bowed, for example. Um, Or if you look under a sink cabinet and the cabinet's kind of bent a little bit or... Uh, or like on a on a baseboard on a wall where the where the baseboard might actually be like bending out like that's a sign when water gets into wood right. it kind of swells it up right so that's mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is like rust or uh, chemical reactions or mineral deposits they all kind of fall under the same mm-hmm. thing so right. like rust doesn't show up unless there's moisture so if you see rust right. on on a nail head like all right where did the water come from. Where, and it doesn't have to be like liquid water. It could be humidity too. It can, you know, you kind of have to feel out where you are, but that's a clue. If I have a nail head in a wall popping out that's fully rusted on the top, I'm testing the wall behind the nail head because right. the nail probably is also rusted on the inside. If it rusted right. on the inside, it's probably because there was condensation that formed on the nail head, which is moisture. And then that increases humidity in a space. You can have mold growing behind there, right? So like, no other inspector is going to go and say, there's a rusty nail head. Let me go test behind this wall. They're not going to do it. Right. Um, but this is how you really pinpoint where these problems are. Right. And then the last one is staining. Obviously, if you see staining somewhere, then water. Right. Staining, right? So those are the five things. So we really just hone in on, on training our eye 
to see varying degrees on different types of building materials of what that looks like. And that's a big chunk of our training process, um, you know, as we're going through and training our team. Well, I really appreciate the depth to which you go to and the attention to detail that you're paying as you're looking for this, because as I learned from your cousin, Michael Rubino, there's, you know, teams that really know what they're doing and do good remediation and really get it all out. And that was the topic of that podcast, which was episode number 25, if anybody wants to go back and listen to it. And, and what you guys are doing, where the focus is on the testing and really finding it, and then you go into the remediation and then all of the education and everything else that you offer, including your podcast too. So, so many resources that you offer. And I just really appreciate that you do this because I see the other end of it. I see the people that have been struggling, you know, the person that you were that's trying to figure out why they, their health is going sideways on them. And often when they're young, because of simply because of the house that they've moved out of the family home and they've moved into a new place and now their health goes sideways. And often that can be due to moles. So yeah. thank you, thank you, thank you for putting all of these resources together. And I'm truly excited to have them in my toolbox to be able to share with my clients. And uh, so I really appreciate everything that you've done. Now, well, I love that. to ask, you're, you're welcome. I mean, it just makes my job easier and I love to be that resource to my clients. I can't possibly know everything. However, when I know the right person or the right resources to connect them to, I'm still helping them. And that's what I'm already doing with this client whose son moved out. So yeah, I really appreciate it. And I love to ask all of my podcast guests this question. What does don't wait for your wake up call mean to you? You know, it's interesting. It's such an interesting question. I've been doing a lot of like health and wellness kind of stuff for myself lately. And I feel like if you wait for... a I feel like if you wait for a wake up call, it's too late because the only reason you're getting a wake up call is because something bad happened, something or something that shouldn't have happened, happened like, holy crap, wake up call. Don't do this anymore or start doing this now because I, I know I'm pre-diabetic or I, whatever it is, like something comes up. I don't know why that's the one that came up or whatever. Like if you wait for that, you're waiting too long. It's over, right? Like, I want to say it's mm -hmm. over, but it's like, it could have been prevented and you're, you've put yourself through a lot of struggle that you don't need to put yourself through, right? I think with all of the information and technology that exists out there now, like there, there's no reason that we shouldn't be thriving much later in life than we are. Um, we have the tools to do it. Now, granted, there's a lot going against us, right? You know, the food that we eat and different things that are easier to access, right? And so that's like a challenge that we have to deal with. But if you wait for all this stuff to happen, like, in my opinion, it's like, it's too late. Like, you know, you've lost time, you've lost, you know, quality of life or whatever. So, you know, for example, I, um, I ran a, a 23 meal a long time ago. Um, and then recently in the last little while, I, I did a talk with Dr. Dale Bredesen, who um, uh, runs Apollo Health. He's a, uh, an expert on Alzheimer's and neurocognitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love his work. Yeah, he's awesome. I actually ended up doing part of their certification requires someone to listen to me talk for three hours about the home because it's such a big component of mental cognitive stuff. So mm -hmm. it was really cool he asked me to do that. Um, but uh, he talks about a genetic, one of your genes, which is ApoE, ApoE4. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and that you basically so you, you i you know you could get two of them potentially from each parent or you could get one or whatever it is and uh in the talk i had written notes on like what the percentage chance is of late onset alzheimer's based on how many of the genetic markers you have so if you had none of them then it was like a seven to nine percent chance if you had one of them it was 25 percent chance and if you had two of them it was 70 percent chance right so there's a, there's a really key genetic marker here and I was like looking through my 23andMe the other day and just happened to like see that the there was an Alzheimer's thing there that didn't used to be there. And I was like, oh, and I went and scrolled into it and had an APOE4 thing and I have one of them, right? So I'm a 25% chance right. of late-onset on, late onset Alzheimer's just from the genetic stuff. So the reason I say that is I've also... I spoke with him a little while ago, but I've spoken with so many doctors over the years now that there are just some things that I've kind of learned from a general health and wellness perspective that are helpful in all cause mortality specific to, to Alzheimer's. And that's always been a thing that I just never want that to happen to me. Like, like other things can happen, but like, don't take my mind when I'm old. Like it's just one of those things. So for example, I have a sauna that I use regularly. I, you know, there's just different things that I've been doing. Then I saw this. I was like, okay, well, first off, I saw it now before before it's already hit me, right? So you talk right. about waiting for the wake-up call. What if the wake-up call is when I started forgetting stuff? Like, that's way too right. late, right? Exactly. However, I didn't even wait for this. I was way more, pre- I was trying to do preventing this stuff even before I happened to see this genetic marker that came up, right? Mm-hmm. So like the value of don't wait for a wake-up call, like to make these types of decisions and improvements in your life, if I wait, I mean, literally in this scenario, I could I could wait and who knows if it would trigger 25%, who knows if that would have triggered or not. But if it did, I mean, at that point, oh man, it's way too late. Like I should have been doing this a long time ago and I would regret it so much. And who knows what the quality of my life would be afterwards. So the value of not waiting for wake up calls and trying to predict them or be proactive in front of things in a way that still resonates with you and like fits into your lifestyle, but it's something that you're doing that's for your betterment. I'm just like, I'm all about that right now. Like my days are so full of all like the health wellness things that I could be doing beyond just what we're doing, you know, in the business. So. Well, I absolutely love that. And it's why I put together the show and why I bring on guests and why I teach because I'm in complete alignment with you. If you wait, it's too late and it actually costs less financially and emotionally when you take action now and choose to be proactive in your health, which is your greatest asset versus waiting. So thank you for that beautiful explanation. Now, if people want to work with you, get in touch with you, learn more about how they can have inspections done, et cetera, what's the best way for people to reach you? Yeah. So our site is yesweinspect.com. Our company's we inspect. I don't know if we ever said that. So we're, we're we inspect. Um, yesweinspect.com. Uh, there's a button you can click on there and get on the phone with my team. You can talk to my team. Um, but there, there's a lot of ways that we could work with people and we've been building out additional ways to do it because I never want someone to be like prohibited from having the opportunity to understand what's happening in their space and like try to fix it. Right. And so, you know, money's always a barrier when it comes to this stuff. And we travel just FYI, we go anywhere in the country. Um, so, and we're not, you know, outsourcing inspectors. Like they all work directly for me. They're all trained under our training programs. It's not like we're going to 
Idaho and just seeing who's there and saying, Hey, you want to take our job? Like, that's not what we do. Um, so, you know, we service everywhere, but, you know, in-person inspections where traveling is part of it and all that stuff that just might not make sense for everyone. You know, if you're, if you're somebody who's like, I'm just concerned maybe about a couple rooms or something like that. Like we were never ever really to help that person before because of just the logistics of managing all of that. So we spent the last mm -hmm. year and a half creating an app that we call We Inspect Together, which takes our entire inspection process. The app becomes an inspection companion that essentially is like a window into your space for us. So you still get like our team of consultants working through with you, but you don't have to know what you're looking for. That's the beauty of it. Like we know what we need to see. So like, hey, you have a window in this room? Cool. I need these four pictures of this window. Bam. We'll look at it. We'll tell you what's going on. Right. So it's really like kind of a done with you sort of. That's why we called it together because it's like you take the photos. We tell you what's happening in the photos, but we tell you what photos to take. So, you know, that now opens opens the door for anyone, anywhere, any price point, any level of service. Right. You can literally inspect. I had somebody that they just ordered 17 rooms. They basically just ordered a full house inspection, but they did it through here instead because they wanted to do it this way. To the We have people that order just one room because they're concerned about like where their daughter sleeps or something, right? So there's so many ways now between in-person, you know, this kind of guided virtual sort of way that we have it set up. And then even like at-home test kits and everything that comes either after that process or just pre-screening kits like the dust test that we talked about. Like there, if this is something that is concerning for you there's now in 2024 basically no reason for you to be living wherever you live and feel like that you're limited to only the people that are in your area to get right like we don't live in a time with the yellow pages anymore right we live in a time where you can literally access the top experts in the world that at your fingertip anytime you want to Yet our industry has not embraced that at all. Like there's no version of that until now for our industry. So now if you want to work with the best mold consultants that exist on planet earth, you can do that. And you can do it at your pace, at your flow and the amount that you want. So whether it's in person, it's that, it's whatever. So I, I'm really excited about how we're able to help people now and, and we can really help across the gamut. And I absolutely love that you can help across the gamut and to your point, we live in a world where people can access the best inspectors and couldn't do it until now, but now they can. And uh, you have a free gift. You kind of glossed over it a few minutes ago. So I'm going to share it again to make sure the audience really hears it, that you are offering a free call with your team to offer advice and see how you know they can help. And so how do people access that? They just go to your website, yesweinspect.com, and it's there for them to click the link and book a call? Yeah, this is, you know, this is a really big thing that we we made available just like a month ago. There it used to be where we would know by how people sort of answered their initial questions, you know, their kind of onboarding questions before they booked a call if we were even a, a fit for them, right? And so there were times where people, you know, it just didn't make sense for them to talk to us. So we would redirect them to a different resource that we thought made more sense for them at that time based on their answers of what was going on. But this is such a confusing thing that a lot of times, you know, people just need to talk to somebody to kind of figure it out. So, and not just, not just in a way where like, I have random questions. I mean, that's, it's not like a question line. That's like, that's not, that's not what it is. Right. right. But it's a, Hey, if I'm really interested in exploring how to investigate my space and, and working with somebody like you, 
I want everyone to be able to have that conversation instead of not being able to. And so, yeah, we, we open this up and now, you know, anybody there's, there's still some questions to answer, but it will help us understand kind of where their starting point is and what they're looking mm-hmm. for. And then mm-hmm. they'll get on the phone with a person and we'll talk to them. I think this person, this person aspect, this human aspect of stuff, like with all the technology and the advancements and, you know, has kind of gone away and a yes. lot of it is okay. A lot of it is really helpful and beneficial. And a lot of times people don't want to talk to someone because it takes more time. And I'd rather just talk to a chat bot or something and get my answer. And that's fine. Like that, totally get that. I'm that way too. But there are times, especially with like complex things like this, where you just need to like understand something a little bit better. And I want to make sure that people like feel that up front that we are there for them, like throughout this process. And I just thought that that was a really important piece that we have to make available. So anyways, yeah. So that's why, that's why we have that set up that way. Well, I love that. And you're absolutely right that sometimes the chatbot is perfect, but sometimes the chatbot is incredibly frustrating because it can't answer the question that you specifically have the way a human being can. So that's a wonderful then free you throw gift. your phone across the room because you're like, well, yeah. I can't answer my question. <laughs> exactly. We've all been there, right? So yeah, thank you for offering that. It just shows the heart that you have in your business and how much you really care about helping people get onto the right path of their journey when it comes to healing themselves from mold as well as dealing with it in the house, et cetera, et cetera. So is there any last wisdom you would like to share with the audience before we wrap up this episode? Yeah, just like very top line, like it is possible to find and fix these issues in the house. A lot of people feel hopeless in this process because it's, it feels complicated. It feels overwhelming. Um, you go in the Facebook groups and everyone's saying you have to burn your house down and go live in the woods because no one knows how to do it. And next thing you know, it's like, well, there's no doing it at all. There, there's a lot of negativity out there around like this process and a lot of fear out around this process. What I will tell everyone and to wrap up with this is that, you know, a lot of that fear is a lot of times tied to finances. It's just an overwhelm how much it's all going to cost. Um, the vast majority of our clients do not remediate everything that we find, but the vast majority of them get better because what we're able to do throughout this process is provide a really detailed priority breakdown of the areas that should be addressed in mm-hmm. order. So right. no matter what your sort of budget looks like, you think of this 80-20 concept of like, if I could at least hit the one or two or three areas that are the biggest, biggest contributors, then that means I have that much less constant exposure happening. And people don't necessarily have to be in a zero exposure environment to heal. You just have to have less exposure than your body, you know, than your body's limit is, right? right. Every limit is different, obviously, but right. like it is possible to go through this process, to find where the issues are, to properly address them, and to not rip your entire house apart potentially by going through the way that we've constructed our priority, you know, scaling system or our priority um, uh, system that we have in place. So, just a little bit of of hope to try to um, address some of the the overwhelm that that naturally comes with this process. And thank you for ending this podcast on hope. I love to do that. And to any of the listeners, if you suspect mold, definitely reach out to Brian's team and start to go down this path because you can clearly see from this podcast how much they care, 
how much they hold your hand and guide you through all of the resources available to you and that you can heal. So thank you so much for being on the show, Brian. I really appreciate your time and your wisdom. This is such an important issue and many people are struggling with it and they don't even know it yet. But hopefully the audience will share this widely and it will get into the hands of the people that need to hear what you have to offer. So thank you again for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for investing this time with me on the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. I'm so glad you joined in. If you can take two minutes to share this episode with someone you think can benefit and have a positive impact on their life, that would be wonderful. Please leave a review by going to your favorite podcast listening app and let me know what you enjoy or would like to hear more of. It will support me in my effort to bring the possibility of natural healing to a wider audience and help disrupt the sick care system we have today and make human health a global priority. Health is your true wealth.